with Hashimoto's so common today diving deep into the intricacies was a must too. In today's episode we answer three key questions. How did Stacy lose 100 pounds and change her life? What is a powerful 100 day practice? How can someone with Hashimoto's improve sleep through diet and lifestyle? Stacy Robbins is a soulful storyteller and key influencer in the global conversation on healing your life through Hashimoto's. Her award-winning book You're Not Crazy and You're Not Alone is filled with hilarious, honest and heart-taking moments along the journey of doctors telling her the symptoms were all in her head. having brought herself back from the edge of a health crisis and losing over 100 pounds stacy addressed some of the important aspects of healing spiritual mindset and emotions that affect every area of health raising her family in unique ways traveling cross country and then to europe for months on end leading gorgeous boutique retreats in italy and writing her book an unconventional life where messes and magic collide where she shares the wisdom and tales of a life lived outside of the norm let's get started Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, Light Functional Medicine practitioner, author and yogini and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer podcast, the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. Stacy welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. We're here today to talk about there's so many fascinating things about your story but we're here to talk about Hashimoto's thyroiditis and sleep and uh before we get to all of that what was most interesting and I think what will really interest our listeners is two aspects one is your book uh you're not crazy and you're not alone so i think so many people struggle with not being heard and doing the rounds of doctors and just made to feel as if there's something uh they're imagining or they've lost their mind so that's very interesting for our listeners and the second thing is of course losing 100 pounds of weight i mean who wouldn't be impressed by that so um share your story i mean i've heard it before you've done so much work for hashimotos including the hashimoto summit which i listened to and that's where i first came across you and i fell in love that day watching you talk on the summit 
So share your story first about how did your book come about? How, what, how did it feel to not be heard? And uh, how did you feel as a woman to have gained that level of weight and, and then, uh, of course, subsequently losing all of that? It's a pretty amazing story. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you for having me on your beautiful show. And um, yeah, what a journey. Truly, what a journey. For many, many women who are now diagnosed with Hashimoto's, I had the extreme version of that story, meaning that my life was in this really, uh, on the outside, it appeared wonderful. Here I was, this attractive woman. I was a professional musician who was performing on stages and in recording studios and on all these CD projects and doing my work in the world. Um, and I was very much uh, respected for what I did and in demand. And so I did that and I worked a lot. I also made a big difference in my community and I helped others tremendously with what they were walking through. And I, I told stories of encouragement as part of my music career as well. And so it was just a lot of um, faith building and a lot of inspiration and encouragement that I brought. On the other side, I was, I did have that truly within me. That is very true within me. I was also conflicted because mm. I also had come from a past of a lot of trauma. I had come from a past of um, insecurity mixed with my bravery. I had come from a place where I was performing a lot, not just on the stage, but in my life, trying to be better than I was. And I, I was operating from a lot of fear, a lot of guilt, and a lot of shame. And all of those things, I don't think I noticed so much, Deepa, because I was moving so fast and I was doing such good work in the world and making such a difference, making good money um, and impacting people beautifully. But when I was going so fast, I didn't see what was going on. So what happened was I ended up hitting this bump and this bump looked like uh, my marriage of five years at that point was struggling and we got separated. Um, I lost my grandmother unexpectedly, who I loved tremendously. I, my dad began the process of dying at 49 years old from complications to type 1 diabetes. And I was hit in the first of two car accidents in a very short period of time. So there was this convergence of, oh my God, are you kidding me? Kind of events. And um, in the process of that, I started having symptomology. And I started having anxiety attacks. I had never had those. I started, um, yeah, feeling like my chest was, uh, my heart was pounding out of my chest. I started having temperature changes in my body where my hands and feet would get tremendously cold. I started losing the outside third of my eyebrows. Um, my skin started changing where I had this beautiful peaches and cream um, complexion. Then it started getting very mottled and muddy almost. My hair changed color. Um, and I started gaining weight. Um, oh, in addition to big stomach issues and big sleep issues, I started gaining weight. Um, and the weight just started coming on. And you know, I think the weight really caught my vanity because I think I was willing to put up with the pains, the myalgias in my body and all the other disturbances, but I was really affected by how I looked because that's the first thing people see. And when they see you oh. on a stage, they want to see somebody who looks a certain way. And I started changing. So I started dieting like crazy and hired a personal trainer, could not lose the weight. In fact, I was gaining weight. I didn't have a lot of hunger. 
Um, my hunger was very suppressed at that time. And, and yet I was still gaining weight. So I started going to doctors and doctors would ask me what was going on in my life. And obviously there was a lot going on in my life. So it looked like the symptomology matched my, mm -hmm. my circumstances, right? But after a while, and they would give me pills to help deal with this, that, and such. And those pills didn't help the situation. And I was still gaining weight. I was still having stomach distress. I was still having anxiety and sleep issues. And they reached a point of frustration. The doctors reached a point of frustration with me where they just threw up their hands after putting me on nine different medications, which I was still on at that time. And they told me it was all in my head. So I kept on and on and on. And I had to eventually quit being on stage, quit being in the studio. I got to the point where I was literally so toxic that if you touched my skin on my hands or my face, it, my, my skin bled. I um, was having hallucinations and I slept night after night in my car outside of the hospital emergency room because I literally was so terrified for my life. And at the, that point, I had reached about the weight of 270 pounds. So um, at that point, the doctors, I went to a couple of different doctors and one said to me, Stacy, what we see happening in you is what happens right before someone dies. I'd highly recommend you go home and get your affairs in order. And, and I had another doctor tell me that it was likely that I was dying, but if I did live, I would never have children. So at that moment, uh, you know, here I am having symptoms a year and a half before it goes from being, it's, you know, it's understandable because of my circumstances to um, here are some medicines that will help you to it's all in your head to you're dying. And um, so I went home and there was this shred of hope. There was this shred of faith, of inspiration that was still a light in me. And I just sat down on my couch and I said, what, what is my body telling me? If there was a door in, there has to be a door out. Yeah. And I, I remember, um, before that conversation, I sat down with my husband on the bed and I, and we had, we had reconciled, we were back together and, and he was trying to help me in his own imperfect ways. And it was a hard situation um, inside of like some challenges in our marriage. Um, but he rallied and I rallied and I said to him, you're a good man. We've gone through probably the hardest times that our marriage will go through. And now we're heading into another one. And I just want you to know, I release you to marry someone else. You're, you're a beautiful person. And, and, um, and he is like, we're not, we're not done with this. And so that's when I said, I sat on the couch and I just said, if there was a door in there has to be a door out. What is my body telling me? What did the doctors say that my thyroid is doing? Cause at that point they eventually um, said that I had hypothyroidism, but I was like, what else is going on? And, and I, I just was like, well, this controls my metabolism, my brain, my this, my that. And I said, it seems like my, my body is rejecting me. And I asked myself questions of, you know, like, where do I reject me? Where am I hard on me? Where do I, where am I punishing with me in my thoughts and my words and my, when I need to rest, do I rest? When I'm, when I'm sick, do I take care of myself the way I'd take care of someone else? Um, do I represent my voice? And all of these things ended up being my journey of dealing with not just the symptoms of what eventually was diagnosed as Hashimoto's, but really 
the root causes in my life seem to be on that metaphysical level of uh, seem to be on how I lived with me and how I talked to me and how I treated me. So that is, that is the, in essence what happened. And, and the story you asked the question about the, the book. Um, well, first I want to say this, the doctors wanted to treat me traditionally once they realized I had hypothyroidism, they gave me thyroid pills, but I was actually allergic to them. So mm-hmm. my thyroid swelled to the point where I couldn't even swallow. I couldn't wow. swallow. So it was like the, the healing cure wasn't the healing cure for me. And that's why I had to also look down other avenues. And that's when I started looking down nutrition and I started looking down what, what is detoxification. And you have to know this is 23 years ago. There was wow. no Google. There was no, there was me going to a health food store and seeing a poster with little um, things to pull off to call someone on the phone to ask them questions. This was me going to the library. Um, this was me going to a bookstore and they didn't have chairs for you to sit in like they do now at Barnes and Noble and they, you, know, you can get a coffee and do that. If you sat down to read a book, they kicked you out of the bookstore if you didn't buy the book. Like it wasn't like it is now. It was really a different kind of scavenger hunt for my health finding this piece and this piece and this piece and putting it together. So I started to learn that there was this wisdom that was held in both traditional medicine and nutrition. And that then I had this really important component and that I had to choose my life. I had to choose to live. I had to choose my lifestyle and my thoughts. And it was this whole, um, basically, relearning how to love me, which I'm still on the journey of, I'll be honest, all these years later, it's, I'm not perfect. And it's not a perfect scenario, but I am different. And so how did the book come about? The book came about from my journey, because I lived a life that had so many crazy turns and twists to it and seemingly dead ends. And I just I didn't want anybody to go through what I went through. I figured if I went through something the long, hard way, then that must make me a pioneer. And that means that I could make somebody else's journey easier. I happened to have a gift for words. Social media came around at that point. And I started sharing in different groups that were very small at the time. You know, we have groups of tens of thousands right now, but they were groups of like a hundred women. And I would just share my story. And they would share theirs and it would intersect. And I was able to make their journey to healing shorter because of what I did and because of what I shared. And after enough time, women were just like, you need to write a book. And so I started putting it together. And I, um, my husband said, what do you want the title to be? I was like, oh, I think like healing the heart of Hashimoto's. He goes, that's so drippy and sappy. And I was like, <laughs> but I love words with heart in it. And he said, Stace, what would you tell a woman if they were standing across from you with all the symptoms you had all those years ago? I said, I would look them in the eyes and tell them you're not crazy and you're not alone. And he said, mm-hmm. that sounds like the title for a book. And um, makes me teary because it was just such a big journey. Uh, and now that book has reached thousands of people all over the world. And, um, and I've been on summits that reached hundreds of thousands of people. And to know that their, their journey is shorter is, is, a, is a gift to my heart and to my healing as well. Um, and as far as the question you asked about losing weight, gee, that was a really big deal, Deepa. Yeah. It's a big deal to gain over 100 pounds, to go from being 135 pounds to 270 pounds. I looked like I ate myself. I'd, I'd, walk, I'd walk down the street. 
And I'd look and, you know, sometimes buildings have that reflective mirror kind of quality to it, the business buildings, and you walk past and you catch yourself in this reflection. And I didn't even recognize me because I looked like, like I said, like I had eaten myself. I felt like an alien. Every movement was so hard and I used to be so athletic. I had been in such good shape and now I had layers and layers upon me that just didn't feel like me. And so I'd walk into stores, I'd walk into restaurants, I'd walk into business meetings, or even onto a stage when I eventually re-entered the stage and to see people's reaction. Um, you know, our culture is very visual. And I understand that I'm visual too. I love when things are beautiful. I love when things make sense and have order and space to them and lift to them. And um, I didn't have any of that. I didn't have any space. I was all congested and in my fat. And so that was quite a journey that didn't happen quickly. It happened over time. And I learned that losing weight is, is not when it's an issue, not just of thyroid, because I realized I had self-image issues. I had dysmorphia. I had had anorexic issues when I was 11, 12, 13, and I was under a hundred pounds. And, and so I think those issues needed to get dealt with. Um, so Hashimoto's weight gain, all of that gave me a tremendous opportunity to see me, know me, accept me, choose me, learn to love me and trust me. And that's been my journey. That's beautiful. I mean, Stacy, if somebody actually saw you today, I would never have guessed that much went into making this person because usually when I see you, I'm inspired by the happiness, the positivity. And actually every single day when I see you living your life and you just pick up and go on a trip without any planning, I'm just inspired because I can't do any of that. So it's amazing. What an amazing journey. Uh, but how did that make you feel when you gain weight? You said, I mean, of course, self-image, but so many people go through that because it can impact the quality of relationships, how your confidence to even work. I mean, absolutely every single area of your life gets impacted by when you don't feel good about yourself. Yes. There are those two things. With Hashimoto's, you don't feel good when you're in an unsupported state in your body. And when you're overweight, it's, it's, you cannot feel good about yourself. And so I had both of those. I didn't feel ener energetic and vibrant because mm. of the Hashimoto's. And on top of that, I didn't feel like me. And that's why, you know, my big thing is um, with with women and with my course with Hashimoto's, it, it, my goals for them are to help them lose weight, gain energy and feel like themselves again, because I, energy, people don't understand that energy is our greatest commodity. One of our greatest commodities that when you feel that vibrational uh, spinning in a good way and that movement inside of you, you feel like you can have your dreams happen and you feel like you can powerfully make your dreams happen. But when you lose your energy, it's very easy to, to lose your vision and to yeah. lose your, um, your motivation and your ability to see. And so I think that is one of the hardest components. And yes, when I, um, 
And so I think they both worked together, to be honest, um, because when you're overweight, when I was 270 pounds and I had low, low energy, I didn't feel like I had the ability to do anything about this problem of so I think that was a big deal. So that's why I really try to up-level people's energy with mindset and with empowering foods, healing foods and healing practices in their life. Because once you can raise your energy, you really feel like you can do something about the areas in your life that are the projects in your life. Like in that case, it looked like a problem to me, but it was a project. It was, I needed to lose weight. And um, so I had to constantly do that spiritual work, that mindset work, that personal development work to uplevel my energy so I could deal with that. Now, when I didn't, um, when I didn't have that energy, it felt very overwhelming. It affected my confidence. Just to even pick out clothes in the morning was like, I hated everything I owned. Everything I owned was black. I looked like a funeral director, a really fat funeral director. I was like, Everything was black or gray because I wanted to hide mm. and my fat wouldn't let me hide. So um, I had to choose to eventually like um, get the bigger clothes that were cute and do my very best and do my hair and my makeup because truly I was in such a funk and such a depression. I didn't even want to shower. I didn't even want to try because it was like trying only seems stupid. It seems stupid to try to, make my hair pretty and my makeup pretty when it wasn't going to change that I had 130 pounds to lose. So, um, yeah, I had to really do that inner work and mindset. It's hard when you're in relationships. It's hard when you're thinking about having sex. It's hard when you're thinking about, you know, feeling beautiful naked in front of your husband. It's hard when you think about, um, dressing up for a wedding or that you're going to be in wedding pictures for your friend, best friend's wedding. And you're the one who has over a hundred pounds to lose and you stand out and everybody is this thin and you're not, and it feels, you feel embarrassed. Um, being at the pool, like I was trying to do my exercise and there was a little boy across the way with his mom and said, mommy, I'm scared to go in the water because that fat lady's going in the water. Mm. And you have to just, you know, obviously, I know how to manage that now in myself, but when you are already feeling crushed inside of you, yeah. um, those little things can be the camel that yeah. brings the camel's back. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think somewhere, how did you actually start that shift? Because you said mindset and spiritual healing. So how did you find a way to crawl out of that dark space? What was the first step? And that was a long time ago. So I do know that when I sat in stillness and in reflection, because I couldn't do a lot, I couldn't be busy. Hashimoto's wouldn't let me. I didn't have the energy. Um, I had to, and I had a diagnosis finally of Hashimoto's. And the doctors said this, even though there are different understandings now, I'm going to tell you what was told to me. Hmm. The doctor said, it's when your body attacks your own thyroid. thyroid. So what I did was, like I said, I asked those questions of, if my body's attacking itself, why, where am I not a friend to me? My, my body should be a friend to itself. It shouldn't be divided. So where am I divided about me? Where am I in conflict? And I asked those questions and it was like, well, what are my beliefs about God and me? You know, well, I believe God is great. 
you know, because I was in a religion at that time that I'm not in currently, but so I had that context of religion. I was like, well, if God is great, but I'm not, I'm such a problem. Like, if God made me, then how come I'm not great too? And I I'd had conflict about the greatness of what I saw the divine being as, but I didn't, I wasn't taught in my religion that I was great too. Mm-hmm. I was taught that I was unworthy. But how could God be worthy and I be unworthy? But God made me. That didn't make sense. That was a conflict. Or what about with my parents? The conflict of they love me and, and they did genuinely love me. And I knew that and took care of me in great ways. And also there were very damaging things that happened in our household. And I was also unsafe because they were working out their stuff. So there was that conflict of, I love you, Stacey, and love should make you feel safe, but then I wasn't safe. Hmm. And so conflict. And so what happens is um, we eventually, you know, and even in our culture creates conflict. Our culture says, be you, be the best you you can be. But then it says, no, not like that. Yeah. You got to have this toothpaste and this car and this size rear end and this much money in your bank account. Then you can be like you as long as you're like the culture's version of you. And so there's conflict. And I think all of those conflicts, what happens if, is we absorb them. We absorb those ideas and we can take on conflict ourselves. And then I think we make up rules about ourselves. Like if I, like we say, I'm unworthy. And then we do things that magnify or, or affirm our unworthiness. We, if we feel unworthy, we're not going to eat good healing foods. We're not going to sleep and rest. We're not going to be around beautiful relationships. We're going to eat crappy food and we're going to undersleep or oversleep even sometimes, or we're going to be in toxic relationships. So I had to heal those ideas of unworthiness. And how did I do that? I was prayerful. I was meditative. I got still. And I had to sit with what came up in the stillness. Because normally when stuff comes up about yourself, when you have to look at your beliefs, misbeliefs, it's very tempting to go clean some dishes and to paint a room and move the furniture around or take on a project or get on the phone or on social media. It's very easy to want to get up and get busy and distracted. It's very tempting to want to go for ice cream or wine or um, cake and or you know, big bowls of whatever, uh, comforting food, because we just want to make the feelings go away. And what I had to do is I had to keep sitting in the discomfort. Mm. What I and I had to bring the grace of love into that equation. Like what would love say? What would pure love say? What would healthy love say to me in this? And I had to have a conversation. And if I were, Instead of being conflicted, I had to kind of parent myself. I had to be that divine voice to myself. I had to be that hero and that healing voice to myself. And that's where I started. I started with, with questions of what is going on. And then I had to sit in stillness long enough to hear what was going on for me. And then I had to sit in stillness a little bit longer to bring love up into it. And it was that and reading books and it was going to um, personal development classes eventually. And it was just being on a, it was just a journey back home to me. 
and during all these times did you struggle do you struggle with sleep ever and do yeah. you see uh, other people with hashimotos having specific sleep challenges yes definitely oh my gosh deepa i had so many sleep issues i think i had sleep issues since i was a child i think i had fomo fear of missing out even yeah. as a child i say that I think fear of missing out comes from a traumatic background where you have to stand watch. That's my opinion that I will share and you can enlighten me on what you think about that. But as my as I've explored this, when I was a child, my mother said I never slept. She said I rarely slept until a full night through until I was about 10 years old. And I think I didn't even sleep a full night through after that. I would wake I would take a long time to go to sleep and I would just sit up and I would watch and listen in the dark. and then eventually i'd fall asleep for a few hours and then i was an early riser and i was high high energy all day so i'd stay up all day long and then be up way into the night have these imaginations and these these things going on in my head and then i would um eventually go to sleep now what i do think is that i felt on some level i'm a very spiritual little being as a child i think i felt spiritual energies Um I also think that I was keeping watch because there was a lot of conflict between my mom and dad and yeah. I, it got very hard and and dark sometimes and so I think there was a part of me as the oldest daughter and a very intuitive being that was keeping watch for safety and then I think keeping watch for safety also once I felt safe enough I'd just go into these imagination worlds and then eventually I'd go to sleep so I think it was multifaceted but i think there was an element of beautiful spirituality about me and and being sensitive to energies and then also a lot of trauma and being watchful all the time then when i got older and uh in my 20s i dealt with um the sleep issues coming from i didn't sleep a lot cuz i worked a lot like i'd work until 1 or 2 in the morning and then i'd sleep till 6 maybe and again just like as a child i'd get up i'd have all this energy and go 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 until hashimotos hit Mm. And then um what happened is a couple of things. I would either sleep a lot but not feel rested or I'd be waking up throughout the night with all of this broken sleep and an inability to go back to sleep. Then when I was in my 30s after I had children, um I found myself after my second child having so much insomnia. I was nursing two children under 2 years old. I was working and uh with my music and i was um you know just trying to manage our household and our business and i would go to sleep and then 3 hours later like clockwork i would be up for 3 4 5 hours a night and i was very stressed about it but what happened was i took on my stillness practice again at a new level i got called to it in a new way this was probably 8 years or 10 years after that initial stillness this was very devoted and on purpose i said i will sit in stillness 15 minutes a day no now i will sit for 30 minutes and then eventually what happened was i started applying that stillness practice to my sleep um and i would wake up in the middle of the night and i would just now apply the stillness to that and in that way i was able to conquer the anxiety that comes with being awake and i just called it all good 
I said, I will not judge being awake. Yeah. I'm not going to judge this as a problem. I'm going to call this my divine time with God. And this is my little rendezvous time with God, with spirit. We're going to just be together. I'm going to be with me in my divine self and be quiet and take it in and, and just receive. And that's what I did. And eventually I got to the point where I was able to sleep through the night. Now that was in my 30s, but something happened around the time I turned 40 that affected my sleep. I started having a gasping issue in the middle of the night. It seemed to come out of nowhere. I, it was just like one night I woke up in the middle of the night gasping, like someone threw me into dark waters. I didn't know what was happening. I, I, um, it's, it would happen like every three minutes. And at first it only happened for 15 minutes. So it happened like five times. And I went back to sleep and I was like, well, that was weird. What was that? And then it happened the next night and the next night and the next night until, Deepa, this went on for sometimes four hours a night. Every three minutes I'd wake up gasping. I went to doctor after doctor. They did sleep tests. They did apnea tests. They said, there's nothing we can figure out. You don't have apnea. You don't have this. You don't have that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to solve this again, just like I had to figure this out with Hashimoto's. What is going on? And I, um, it was nine years, nine years of figuring this out. And I would find certain things that helped, remedies, natural remedies. The doctors would give me Valium, and that would help a little bit, but then it would freak me out. And so I got off of that really quickly. I tried Kratom, which helped for like three or four months. Um, and then, um, and then that didn't help. I'd try eating certain ways and that would help for a little bit, but then not, I would take out alcohol. I would take out coffee. I would take out all these things. I would take out, you know, all the stimuli before bed and make sure my, um, melatonin could release. And, and I wasn't on technology. I had no TV in my house. Like I did all these things. I did binaural beats. I did so many things and they, progressively helped during times, but then it would come back. And I do a practice called a hundred day gong. It's a Taoist practice that I do the same thing every day for a hundred days. And I've been doing it since 2014. And two years ago in 2018, I think it was, or maybe 2019, early 2019, I did my hundred days of eating one meal a day and intermittent fasting the rest of the day. And 30 days in the gasping went away. Wow. So what I learned is that there was some kind of connection between my gut and my brain that was really not firing properly. And I think that through that time of really being able to rest my body, it allowed me to help my sleep. So yeah, have I had sleep issues? Yeah. And do women with Hashimoto's have sleep issues? Yes. A lot of times it's because they've got sugar imbalances and they've got insulin resistance and, um, and they'll wake up in the middle of the night because they're actually having a, a hypoglycemic kind of reaction. Yeah. Um, a lot of times they have adrenal issues and those highly adrenalized hours, they'll wake up between two and 4 AM because their adrenal glands are shot or they're in a flare. And um, yeah, so that is what I see systemically. And also women who have low ferritin, um, which is kind of, endemic with women with Hashimoto's is their ferritin, their iron gets out of whack and then they get into an air hunger state and then they'll find themselves awake in the middle of the night. 
um, even sometimes gasping for air as well. So yes, that, that those issues are common for women with Hashimoto's. And how about temperature? Because I hear a lot of women with Hashimoto's talking about unbearable the husbands in the room and it's not cold, but I feel hot or the other way around. He's hot and I'm feeling cold. I can't uh, make myself comfortable with even five comforters. So have you come across things like that? You yourself personally and also other people with Hashimoto's? Yes. Yes. Um, well, you know, thyroid controls your metabolism. It controls your temperature. So yes, of course, that is going to be an impact. Um, and I, my husband and I are never the same temperature, not in the car, not in the bed. We're never. <laughs> I'm in a room and I'm perfectly com comfortable. He comes in and opens all the windows. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm warm. I'm like, I'm <laughs> And then conversely, like I walk in and, and then I'm, you know, cold and he's hot and whatever. We stopped sleeping in the same bed about four or five years ago because um, we, I, and I know that about 40% of Americans um, don't sleep in the same bed, but you know, the, the people who know the show, I love Lucy, Lucy and Ricky always slept in, in separate beds because it wasn't appropriate during the 1950s and 1960s for a woman to be sleeping in bed with even her husband. So they had two separate beds on the television show. So I just say we're sleeping like Lucy and Ricky. <laughs> well, because I have all that, you know, I'm a light sleeper. And, and so, you know, I put, mullen drops in my ears. I put my, um, I put my um, cotton in my ears, you know, at night or whatever I do and um, make sure the room is really dark. Well, he can sleep on a, on a rock. My husband, Rock, is name, his name, but he can sleep on a stick. He's just, he can sleep anywhere. He's so easy. I am not easy. He, but what happens is he snores and he kicks. He has restless leg syndrome and, and he has that, you know, that thing that he does. And I just want to go and strangle him, you know. And um, <laughs> so we just decided it would be better for our marriage and our sex life if he just did not sleep in the same bed. So we have all our snuggles and connecting time. Yeah, before. and then go and sleep separately. Yeah, I, I think that sleep. makes a lot of sense. I think that's pretty much what I do as well. Finish the cuddling and then go sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but what did you personally do to help yourself manage these um, temperature fluctuations if it impacted your sleep? So did you have to uh, is it the same every night you find that you're the same and you can set a certain temperature and then everything's all right or does it keep varying you know what i think as i'm in perimenopause right now i think my life is in another variable but we live by the beach we're about half a block from the beach in southern california so we don't have any air conditioning in our home because we have the beach breezes um, at night, I just keep the fan going most of the year um, and then the ceiling fan. And then I just convert, I layer blankets on me accordingly, but I sleep with a heating pad for a part of the year too. And I'll just put it over my belly and, um, and just make sure my core feels warm enough. I noticed that um, what also affects it is my foods, um, yeah. dairy, Dairy for me, some people can do dairy just fine, but for me, I have an issue with my temperature dropping a whole degree inside of my body. I've tested this countless times. 
So within 24 hours after I eat dairy, my temperature goes down from whatever it is to one whole degree. So if I want to stay warmer, I leave dairy out of my life. Um, and yeah, that is basically what I, oh, and then what also affects it is alcohol. I don't drink wine anymore, even though I'm Italian, even though I lead Italian retreats in Italy, I, I really very rarely have a sip of wine. Um, like I'll taste it if we go to a winery, I'll have one sip, but I can't sit and enjoy two or three glasses like I used to. I had to switch to maybe um, vodka or um, gin or something, you know, that's gluten-free, but doesn't have that sugary component to it. So sugar, dairy, alcohol seem to affect my temperature and my sleep. But so do, you're talking about feeling cold. Have you ever had situations where you feel hot? So waking up, sweating, hot flashes? I don't get a lot of hot flashes, but I do get overheated when um, the temperature variance happens if I've had sugar, if I have grains um, and fat in combination. So let's say I were to have ice cream on a on a piece of cake, if I were to have um, ice cream on a piece of cake before bed, oh, can you hear me okay? I can hear you, yes. Okay, good, it's visual is stuck a little bit. Um, but anyway, so if I have like ice cream on a piece of cake before bed, I, and I had a glass of wine, I would have a lot of over and a hot flash. But in general, I don't get hot flashes. Sugar, alcohol, dairy tend to affect those things and grains. Uh, so talk us through how someone with Hashimoto's might uh, improve sleep quality and even overall health through their diet and lifestyle. Just walk us through uh, the basics of somebody, where can they start and what do you typically advise? Hmm. So if somebody has, has sleep issues, I walk them back from their nighttime. I ask them what their nighttime routine is, you know, and, and have them be off of computers and all technology for 90 minutes. I have them um, so that their melatonin can drop down and they can really truly rest. I have them uh, do some healing uh, practices, maybe some breath work or an Epsom salt bath before bed. Um, if that's relaxing for them and, um, and making their room as dark and cool and comfortable as they need it to be. Um, I also then will walk back to what are they eating, eating and drinking after 7 PM. And so to try to stop that eating and drinking from happening in general, unless they have an insulin issue, unless they have a insulin resistance issue or a hypoglycemic issue, then in that case, they would have to have like a little bit of protein and um, like a piece of fruit with some almond butter before bed because to help their blood sugar stabilize through the night. Um, but, and then I walk them back to their day. Like what are their rhythms? And, and really what I help women to know is that sleep is our biggest expression of trust that we experience energetically and metaphysically. It is the sign that I am safe. It is the root chakra. It's a root need. It's part of our, 
our foundation of our being is that I am safe enough to be myself during the day and I can do that peacefully. And I am safe enough to trust myself to surrender and not be in charge of everything in the world at night. So I believe that rest is about trust and the way that we can um, sleep more peacefully at night is also um, sleeping, living peacefully with ourselves and with others and with our work and our mission during the day. So I work, when someone comes to me with a sleep issue specifically, um, I work all of those aspects because it's, it's a symptom. Sleep issues are a symptom of, of a thought process, of a lifestyle, and of um, a stimulation that we have and how we handle those stimuli in our life. And, and really a root a root understanding of am I safe enough to trust myself to be at peace during the day and to be at sleep at night. That's beautiful, Stacy. So it's a, when you spoke about the roots, so you're talking about a lot to do with adrenal health as well. I know today there's a lot being spoken about adrenal health in connection to Hashimoto's as well, but Perhaps 20 years ago, there wasn't that much awareness given to the adrenal gland itself. I didn't know I had an adrenal gland till uh, 10 years ago when my son was born with a dysfunctional adrenal. So he's a steroid dependent adrenal disorder child. Uh, so I had no idea that I had an adrenal gland in the past 10 years. I've um, study the adrenal gland in such vivid detail and it's like what you spoke about that you take what life throws at you and you think of it as uh, the negative or the perceived negative into a positive where you can use that information to help a lot of people but I think there is a deep connection as you said between feeling safe, adrenal health, and Hashimoto's as well. But what I really loved was your whole reframe about sleep, about trust. You can rest only if you trust. That's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. So is there something, um, um, just quickly, what would a diet look like for somebody with Hashimoto's? Is it different for everybody? But is there a General, um, there's a framework for people with Hashimoto's which has worked um, more often than not. Yeah, I think that's a very, thank you for placing the question out there that way. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because like I had a woman call me up the other day, a client who wants to lose weight. She's like 215 pounds and she wants to lose weight. And she said, so do I do this one diet? that she heard about for women with Hashimoto's. And I said, I don't really even know you enough to answer that question fully for you. I said, I can give you some in general principles, which I will for you quickly, Deepa. But what I said is when somebody calls me up and says, so what's the one diet that I do? It's almost like them saying, what clothes do I wear? And I'm yeah. like, what season are you in? What state or country are you in? What time of day are you in? What activity are you doing? And that, is what I do when I assess um, the women who come to me for weight loss or for Hashimoto's is like, how do I eat? Well, there are some general principles we know. And thanks to the wonderful work of, um, of uh, Dr. Isabella Wentz, Dr. Datis Karazian, Michael Brownstein, um, 
there's just such wonderful one. Did I say his name right? Uh, David, David Brownstein. Like there's all these wonderful people, Mark Starr, like from 20 years back and forward. Um, and I think Dr. Wilson from the adrenal protocol. Um, uh, you know, I think that in general, being gluten-free is very supportive. Being dairy-free, um, for many being grain-free, because as Datis talked about in um, molecular mimicry, that our body, um, it, it doesn't just fire against the molecular structure of the thyroid. It looks for things that look similar. And so we know that gluten looks very similar to the yeah. molecular structure of the thyroid. And, and then rice looks very similar to that. And then corn looks very similar to that. So um, we just have to be aware of what is our body firing or misfiring about. And in that I can help people know if you have a histamine issue, you know, that can be a tricky thing. In general, people do really well on autoimmune paleo, or they do really well on paleo, or they do really well on Weston A. Price. Some do very well on keto ketogenic diet. Um, some do very well on vegetarianism. Some even thrive on veganism. I don't judge as one diet being right, wrong, good, or bad. Yeah. I really hear the heart, the ethics, the mindset of the person with me. I listen to what's going on in their body and we help build something that's just best for them. One woman just came to me the other day. It was crazy. She said, I've not been able to lose weight in 10 years. She said, the last two years I've been doing ketogenic diet with intermittent fasting, which I love and I do well with that in certain seasons. And I said to her, all right, I would like you to do this instead. And I gave her a protocol of eating every two and a half to three hours of certain foods. She has lost nine pounds in six days for the first time in 10 years. So sometimes it's just where, like what state are we in? What season are we in? What's, what activity are we doing? You know, we have to respect the season and the state of our body. And that's deeply sensitive, Stacy, because the nutritional world gets so... Uh, argumentative and uh, I think what I really uh, like to do is to not get into uh, one path, one ideology, one, and there's nothing which is perfect. So I, I think a lot like you. So it's very refreshing to find people who are similar and who are not uh, just about proving that their path is the right way and it's the only approach. So that's definitely nice to hear. Thank you, Stacy, for an amazing conversation. And all that I had of you in my mind is only gotten even better over this conversation. And can I say again, I love you, Stacy. Thanks for being here on the show today. And um, I think this is one episode that our listeners are just going to absolutely adore. Thank you for having me and for all that you do. This podcast is intended to provide helpful and informative material on the subject matter covered in the episodes. The podcast is not acting in the capacity of a doctor or a registered dietitian and is not rendering any professional healthcare or medical service. The information in the podcast is not intended as a substitute for medical advice or services or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. 
the advice and tools contained herein may not be suitable for your situation any medical questions regarding contraindications and cautions or any questions on whether or not to proceed with any practices provided in the show should be referred to qualified health professionals before adopting the same the podcast specifically disclaims any responsibility for any liability loss risk personal or otherwise which may be incurred as a direct or indirect consequence of the use of information from this podcast or the application adoption of any of the information provided